Cargo Cult is a production of Radio Nemo West. Cargo Cult is all about the movies, books, music, and moments that help shape the lifestyle of not only the trucking industry, but also the American obsession with being on the move. What if something just like jumps out in front of you and you have to stop? Don't. What was that? A Mazda. Host Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn engage in a wild, free-form discussion with folks from both the transportation and entertainment worlds. I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. It's a show that's all about the journey. So far, we're doing fine. Hadn't got caught. And now your hosts, Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn. You know, one of the really cool things that Rush just said before we actually went on the air here for Cargo Colo. Hey, Justin Wellborn, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Jimmy Mack? I don't have any complaints whatsoever. Um, None? None. I, I, no obstacles? No obstacles. Nothing in my way. You want to know why? Because I, I beat the crud. I got the crud in Dallas. I beat the crud in you Dallas. You did mention that. I beat that, the that crud. You've come back to wellness. Yeah. So one of the things that Russell, uh, who does a lot of the producing for us over here in the Los Angeles studios where we record Cargo Call. I'm Jimmy Mack, by the way, and I am the host of uh, Dave Nemo Weekends and the Dave Nemo Show on Sirius XM 146 Road Dog Trucking. As always, I am joined by Justin Wellborn. He is an actor and a creative and a good, good friend of mine. It's good to see you again. It's been a while since we've done this. It's been a couple of weeks. It has been a couple of weeks. So Russ was talking about we're going to have a seance, and I've always been a big, big fan of seances because it's like the best metaphor ever for both movies and theater. You create a space, you introduce an object into that space, you then summon the spirit of something into that object, and then you unleash the spirit onto the audience that is kind of watching it. And so I've always kind of dug the idea of a seance because Hmm. sometimes things get... Okay, so one of my favorite things about seances in regards to movies and horror movies in particular is people have a seance to talk to somebody really cool, maybe from the past. Dad, are you there? Are you there, Dad? Pazuzu. They they summon Pazuzu. (laughs) Exactly. They summon Pazuzu, they literally get a hold of a Ouija board and they summon right. in something truly awful yeah, that then yeah, unleashes yeah. itself for an entire motion picture. Actually, you you just actually... We just wrote our own movie, uh, but it's also the plot of 72 other films. And it's, Yeah, it's also basically William Peter Blatty, the creator of Columbo, by the way. In case anybody doesn't know, you, you know Lieutenant Kitterman in Columbo? And Columbo are the same character. We've right, talked about right, this, right? right? We, we, we did discuss this. We, we have some, in The Exorcist and in Columbo. It's the same, same guy. guy. You know, Super you remind weird. me of Sal Minio. <laughs> remember who plays him in uh, the movie The Exorcist? Who play, it's uh, George C. Scott in Exorcist 3. Do you remember who plays him in uh, The Exorcist? And he gets the and. He gets the and. You know when you get the and as? And Justin oh, Wellborn yeah. is playing it. And right. he gets the and. It's Lee J. Cobb. Mm, right, right. That, Johnny oh, Friendly a, from On the Waterfront, and, and the original, and the original Willie Loman on Broadway. Really, I didn't know that. And that's really cool. Is I mean, and that's the thing. You know, when Brian Dennehy played, God rest his soul, great actor. When Brian Dennehy played um, Willie Loman on Broadway, this is a really cool thing. Chris Jones of the Chicago Tribune wrote a great review where Robert Falls, who directed it, did not cast anybody else over five foot ten. So Dennehy, who's six foot four. Both ways. Right. 
deliberately cast the rest of the play under five foot ten so that when you and I didn't even realize it until I saw it. I was like, so I saw that the same. I saw that in New York. I saw Brian Dennehy play Willie Loman the same weekend. I saw Kevin Spacey play Hickey in The Iceman Cometh. So it was the Battle of the Crazy Salesman. <laughs> Hey, we've got somebody here, man. I, I know. I've, I've, I've been, I, I've been I know. trying to we're, get We're, we're we, leading we, up to the fact that we've actually got a friend here. We got a friend. We've actually created a space. We've introduced objects and we've summoned the spirit. Who have we summoned? This is my good friend, David Bruckner. Dave, how are you today, man? Gentlemen, it's good to be here. So, Dave and I have made a few films together. Um, he is a filmmaker, a creative. We're both from Atlanta, Georgia, originally moved out here to LA to chase the dream and do the thing, you know, with. Um, all the obstacles that comes with, but uh, how are you doing today, man? Are you uh, are you working? No, it's my birthday. Actually, today's your birthday. Today's my birthday. Shut your birthday. Up. I decided to come he, he visit did, you guys on not my birthday. Even tell us that he as he that came on. in. He just dropped this on the air. That is fan fucking test. A fellow man. Sagittarius. Wow. My birthday Happy was last birthday, Friday, brother, man. Yeah. Oh, good. Are we both flaky? That's both, that's all I take. What is a Sagittarian doing their second date? Hmm. <laughs> what second date? <laughs> dun, dun, dun. What, what is it Jim Morrison says about Sagittarians? They're the most philosophical of the astrological signs. <laughs> You know, from the waist, I don't know why from, that sticks with me, but it's from the waist down. They're things. built like horses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is what was needed. That we we really did need a little um, hi hat there, man. He's been waiting on that his yeah, whole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Russ has been. Who did that? Was that Russ or Sam? I think it was Justin. <laughs> See, <laughs> we were talking about below else. the waist, and you know, I had to chime in. <laughs> Yeah, there it is. Okay, okay. So um, Dave has joined us this morning on his birthday, uh, which, by the way, is the strangest thing I've ever heard in my life to come here to the series. I mean, you don't turn 72 every day. 72? No, we're talking about 1972. (laughs) Oh, right, right. (laughs) Okay, so one of the things we do on the show, Dave, is that we actually have been making our way slapdash haphazardly through Joseph Campbell's um, Hero's Journey. You know, those, what is it, 12, 13, 14, you know, however many stages there are. And one of the things we have been kind of dancing around getting to is bad guys, villains, adversaries, adversaries yeah. antagonists. Because protagonist, of course, comes from the Greek that means for the action. So whoever is struggling doesn't mean you're a good guy. That's one of the big misconceptions. Sure. The yeah. protagonist oh, yeah. is the good guy. No, they're not. They're, there's nothing good. It's often interpreted that way, but one way or the other, yeah. I mean, some of the most interesting protagonists are the ones that don't quite live up to that. Yeah, know? exactly. I'm looking at Frog One right over there. <laughs> of course, that being uh, Popeye Doyle, my favorite first great anti-hero of motion pictures. Um, but um, we're talking about adversaries today, talking about villains. And you're a guy who actually um, has an interesting relationship with villains in your movies. Um, when you kind of, you, I, I've noticed this about a lot of the bad the quote-unquote bad guys aren't as bad and the good guys aren't as good. Uh, you you like your things in a kind of a morally gray place. So I'm going to buy you some time by asking the long form of this question. Who are some of your favorite antagonists in movies? And like I said, I'm not asking for bad guys. I'm asking for people who stand in the way of where people want to go when they get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, think, uh, uh, I think probably the movie that stands out the most to me and my go-to over the years is the original Terminator 1984 by James Cameron. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I think Terminator is an absolute masterpiece. I think, uh, it's, it's in terms of, uh, you know, as, as an antagonist, the Terminator is uh, one of the greats simply because he is, uh, he is, uh, first of all, he riffs on slasher formula. So he's there 
throughout the course of the movie, constantly knocking out, uh, you know, various various characters. You understand his motive instantly, which is that he's going to be after this, you know, uh, our our hero Sarah Connor. And uh, I think the thing that Cameron does that's so eerie is that he humanizes him, despite the fact that he's this robot mentality the entire time. And uh, I think riffing on Slasher Formula 2, you get some really interesting little bits. You get the, the fact that you can get a Terminator vision, which I find is uh, completely absurd that you could, the audience, see inside the mind of a computer <laughs> and get to select your response to right. uh, any, any human question. Well, uh, that's just tearing absurd. it off Westworld, isn't it? Yo, Brenner's robot. I mean, that's, oh, yeah. that, that's the very first vision of the thing. And then Cameron's just taking, you know, the idea. From Isn't West it weird, though? Because throwing it, it into Terminator. I love that idea, though. The you twist. Know, suddenly that, we're in the mind. The twist that both you guys point out in the sense that because one of the things that Michael Crichton does in Westworld uh, that Cameron doesn't do is Michael Crichton basically says they're evil. I mean, Mike, Michael, right. Michael Crichton basically mm-hmm. says these things are a threat to human beings. There is there is nothing. We have no sympathy. There's none of the sympathy that the that the that the Nolan couple, that Lisa Joy and uh, Jonathan Nolan in uh, the Westworld HBO right, show. Right, right, right. There's right. none of the sympathy yeah, in that. Yeah. I mean, basically, there's no ambiguity. To you know, and that and that happens too in the first Jurassic Park. That's Crichton is like the only people that deserve our sympathy are human beings. Whereas Cameron, you're right, Cameron kind of crosses a threshold. The other thing about the Terminator that I really love is I think the Terminator, that movie, that character becomes part of a trifecta of the Terminator, Hans Gruber, and Hannibal Lecter. Um, when you get to that like, all come out around the same time. Well, and they come out within a ten year uh, within, period, yeah, but they're a template. Each one is a different template of villainy. Uh, that each mm-hmm. one gives us a you know the irresistible force that is the Terminator, mm-hmm. um, the, um, the 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 charming suave but ultimately sociopathic uh, ringleader. And sure. then, and then that the, we'd love to see succeed, but also fail yeah. or, or fall. Yeah. Literally. And, and then, and then finally, um, the, the villain who is so sociopathic that he begins to have his own moral code because you can draw a line right from Hannibal Lecter right into Dexter. You can hmm. really make that. There's a line that happens in, um, Silence of the Lambs when she, when they're worried about, will Lecter come for Clarice? And she says, no, he would consider it impolite. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, and those three villains, you could make a real case that those three villains, because you get the apotheosis of traditional villainy in 82, I think, um, with um, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The bad guys in Raiders of the Lost Ark are straight up the, the bad Nazis. guys. The sh- yeah. <laughs> but, but, but they're done to perfection to shoot them, shoot them both. You know, I mean, you get that that kind of genius sense of like, this is the farthest you can take this. You can't do Nazis any better than It's the best Nazis ever. Nobody can ever do Nazis any better than the Nazis in Raiders of the Lost Ark. I challenge everyone. After that, you get to really real stuff, yeah, which is yeah, not yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, you, we're not in Schindler's you List. You get to here. Schindler's we're, List. We're, we're, we're enjoying knocking Nazis about and throwing them into <laughs> propellers rather than, you know, actually watching the events. Well, it's in, it's interesting because you mentioned that, you know, you're talking about kind of my films, the idea that there's some moral ambiguity where the antagonists are concerned. And if I've stumbled into that, I've done so by accident at times because I think my favorite movies as a horror filmmaker are usually films where the question about the antagonist is non-existent. They uh, they are either evil or so directed as a force of action that they're going to move the plot forward no matter what happens. And uh, one of the reasons I go back to the Terminator is because part of what makes a slasher work so well is that you can't identify with the psychology of the killer. There's always an unknown element to what's going on. And so if you see like 
you know, 78's Halloween, Carpenter's original, is sort of the great where this is concerned. It's like what makes the slasher so frightening is that he's shaped like a human. We understand him to be a human, but he wears a mask. His psychology is unknowable. Mm-hmm. And so we have to contend with something that is potentially greater than us. And the mystery of that. Yeah. He represents the force of that, that, that unknowable faceless thing. There's also something, there's something us. cosmic about it yeah. in a way. It and is death and coming for us. Cameron saw that in 78. He saw the slasher wave coming and, uh, uh, and then riffed on it with Terminator and said, I can take AI as a concept mm. and place it inside this mold and it will be unknowable what's going on in the Terminator's mind in one way or another. And I think I, I just always go back to the slashers like another one is um anton chigur in no country for old men which is uh <laughs> one of the great call it friendo yeah. yep and and he is uh i i think that's a slasher movie through and through it may, it has an odd structure in some ways but um anton chigur is uh you know he may not be a robot and he may not wear a mask but he constantly refers to a code that is unknowable Thanks for listening to a preview of this episode of Cargo Cult. Like what you heard? Hear more from Jimmy Mack and Justin Wellborn exclusively on the SiriusXM app. Subscribe today at SiriusXM.com.